Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, attempting to take care of a giant red panda squashing the city of Toronto, uh, <laughs> welcome to have back on the podcast, Bailey Joe Josie. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. So this week, uh, as kind of hinted at last week, we're playing a little bit of catch up. We're talking about the new Pixar movie, Turning Red, which is now available to watch on Disney Plus, um, as well as kind of turn this into a larger Pixar conversation because we haven't really had a Pixar conversation on this show. And I feel like Pixar is one of the kind of signature mini studios um, in the film industry of the last 20 years. And this is a good chance to kind of unpack what made them successful for so long as where is where they stand now but first bring us back to turning red uh bailey what what did what were your kind of initial thoughts on on this latest entry into the the pixar canon well first off i completely adored it i loved it so much and it's probably the funniest pixar movie i've ever seen I laughed. It's so definitely hard. the funniest. Yeah, it's definitely the funniest in like quite a long time, and yeah. that that quite impressed me within like the first thirty minutes. I think. Yeah, I um, the whole thing with her kind of doing her little intro, I was like, oh, my very first initial thought was like, oh, this is so like this is like a TV show thing. This is so not like a feature film, but um, the charm of the voice actress completely won me over immediately and then I was like I'm I'm totally ready for this um and it felt a little bit like um like a little bit like a a, a nice little shoujo anime um and I was just like all right I'm all in this is so great <laughs> yeah so for anyone who isn't aware this movie basically is about a a young a uh, girl kind of middle school age living in Toronto and you know as as what happens to all of us we all reach that age when we're entering adolescence and hormones start raging and you know it just so happens for this girl that inv- also involves uh turning into a giant red panda which might be an allegory for other things definitely, and definitely <laughs> and the red the lotus mo- Yes. <laughs> I think she said the peony. The mom did when she thought she was on her period. <laughs> it's been a while since, or it's been a few weeks since I, I actually watched it. So I don't remember the specific terminology, but yes, there is, it's, it's all in the title is what I'm going to say as yeah. far as the allegory of this movie. But I, I, I thought a fairly funny, relatable movie, I think, you know, there there's obviously like a specific connection to an experience a lot of young women go through. But I, I think with anyone, there is this moment when you're kind of in your young adolescence and your body starts changing. And all of a sudden, maybe like you're a little bit more antagonistic towards your parents. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of like, shut up, mom, leave me alone. And I I think this movie succeeds when it is it is sort of connected to those very real experiences and finding a kind of humorously over the top way to explore them. Totally. Like uh I it's been a while since I've really watched a movie quite um that I felt a real connection to 
probably because we're we're just now entering that um the time of like nostalgia for the early aughts like it's set in 2002 (laughs) yeah and it's set in 2002 which is such a which is such a crazy year um (laughs) like i was 11 years old so not quite like um may may's age but i definitely was like remember all of the boy band craziness with my friends all my friends had tamagotchis i did not but uh this it felt so so nice and which is so interesting kind of bringing it into the pixar thing because pixar like the the very first pixar movie toy story came out when like i was what five so it's literally been like a progression of pixar movies for millennials like each movie has been specifically like for us i feel like (laughs) yeah i think that's such an interesting aspect and and like i said we're we're going to kind of like talk about pixar i think as a whole you and i are both millennials i think as growing up as kind of late stage millennials the experience that there's a very kind of special connection we have with a lot of pixar movies um growing up what what do you think it is that sort of made this studio sort of so successful for so long because they were obviously you know this this tech company that was kind of self-contained and then kind of in the mid-2000s got bought by disney which obviously like a lot of those early movies were distributed by disney but now they've been sort of for 15 plus years or so have been folded fully under the disney umbrella and i would say kind of that it's interesting if you want to humor me on a little like IMDb looking back <laughs> trip. Like Toy Story, as you mentioned, comes out in '95. It is this sort of watershed moment in animation. Um, the two movie, two other '90s movies are A Bug's Life, which was my first in theater experience as a child. Yeah, and um, Toy Story Two, which the sort of legend has it was almost just a like direct to DVD movie. Um, and, and they had to like rewrite and redo on the fly because it was the like initial version was apparently not working. And I think if that movie didn't work and wasn't a hit and wasn't super successful, we wouldn't have the subsequent run through the two thousands where I think you're hard pressed to find a more consistent run from like a studio than Pixar's 2000s run, which is like Monsters Inc. followed by Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Cars. Which I'm I'm gonna be honest, I'm not a Cars person. I'm gonna maybe say like that's the one kind of caveat in this period. But then you have Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, and Toy Story Three. That's kind of like. 2001 through 2010 like i said i mean cars huge hit i don't think (laughs) pixar is upset about that at all made like a bajillion dollars off of toy sales but maybe the one that doesn't have like fully generational crossover like basically that movie is just popular amongst like eight-year-old boys but the other movies you have movies that are huge hits that appeal to kids as well as appeal to adults and are seen as these kind of acclaimed really imaginative movies those last two up in toy story 3 even nominated for best picture kind of what what do you make of this sort of like first era or or that kind of like do you do you also see that as kind of the peak pixar run that kind of 
99 or like 2001 to like 2010. Well, like, I feel like what, I feel like Pixar kind of became it what it is now, like at the perfect time, because the big thing was like, oh my God, it's a computer animated movie that, you know, looking back now, it, it look, doesn't look great. Like Toy Story doesn't look that great. But at the time mm-hmm. it was so huge and it's, it completely changed animation, you know, like um, nowadays uh a lot of kids don't um identify with like the classic hand drawn animation at least like for really young kids they kind of see it as like i guess how we would look at like silent films maybe yeah that's fair <laughs> like it's such it's such a huge leap in the medium and in te- in like the tech technology and stuff and it's also like i guess cheaper to make so it was this huge overthrow of just like the industry and then um it was really just looking at things that kids really identify with kids love their toys kids love bugs (laughs) kids love monsters kids love cars (laughs) and um i think that each movie yeah um each movie has definitely progressed very naturally as we late millennials have um grown up like Finding Nemo is my most hated movie because it literally came out the summer I started babysitting. And I believe it's like literally the most sold DVD of all time. Oh, really? I feel like That's I read that somewhere and that makes total sense because it that came out right when D- it switched to DVDs. Yeah. Kids ruin DVDs. Like <laughs> the amount of times I've seen Finding Nemo, like mm-mm, mm-mm. I can't with that one. And then the next year was was when I turned 13 was The Incredibles. And I'm a big superhero gal, you mm-hmm. know. And so The Incredibles was really big for me. And and then Cars. Cars Cars and Ratatouille, I cannot deal with. Like that I don't like Ratatouille. I don't like Cars. No. Mm-mm. I you you cannot we'll, ever We'll have to talk me. about this later. <laughs> you can never convince me Ratatouille is great. It's it's not for me like at all um yeah, because I'm. I was very much of like, yeah, rats are dirty. Don't let a rat cook. <laughs> but um, but then Wally is like, Wally is like one of the biggest movies for me. Look at that. She's she's got a Wally mug for for all of our our listeners. Yeah. That that is kind of the period of like Ratatouille and Wally. It's weird going back and watching those because those feel like very those arguably i think are kind of pixar's most mature movies in that they 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 have a little bit of like a slightly slower pace to them they're a bit more kind of character based i mean wally is basically like a silent movie for 90 percent of its run and is dealing with these kind of like heavy issues about kind of ecological fallout and like how we treat the planet and And corporate overlords and like right exactly but but in a kind of like whimsical romance movie about two robot two adorable robots robots falling in love yeah like um wally was a huge game changer for me because i really came to look at pixar movies as just this is what the brats i i watch watch you know Mm -hmm. and no joke wally was like the first 
film I cried at, at like as like an adult. Like I think the last time I cried at a movie, I was probably eight watching like Black Beauty, you know, mm, <laughs> the horse mm-hmm. movie. And then, you know, you end at like turning red, you enter puberty and you kind of change and you become like a a a a different version of yourself and I became very like stoic with movies and Wally completely changed that. Like I the robot love hit me very hard. Um and then like up was fantastic. Also like a big game changer I feel like. You know, that's the one where that's really looked at as like real cinema just for the first um montage with him mm-hmm. and uh, Ellie and stuff. And then, yeah, it's, I feel like it's just gotten like really, it's kind of split then from like, you know, the cars and then what it, what was it? Uh, planes rescue patrol or something. Yeah. Is, is that technically a Pixar movie? That's the one that I couldn't quite put my, of like, is Disney. But then I think after Toy Story 3, then we get into the complicated thing of like Disney's part of the reason Pixar is sort of able to, kind of run the the board for so many years is kind of a dip in Disney's animation division and yeah. having a series of even though some of these movies are pretty good like big flops like um Treasure Planet for example and yeah which Treasure like, Planet is one of the best movies ever but I, movie. I also love Treasure Island uh-huh. and the movie's fantastic it's good. I rewatched so good. it during the pandemic for like the first time since I was a kid and like obsessively watched it as as a kid. But um yeah, I mean that it is weird like the 2000s is just this interesting run for Disney's like normal kind of hand-drawn animation really struggles to come up with hits and then the Pixar movies that they're kind of distributing but don't fully own Pixar are getting like insanely good reviews. They yeah. are cleaning up at the box office, winning Oscars, and then Disney buys Pixar. And I think kind of after... The first in the Infinity Gauntlet. Right, right. The first in their sort of Thanos glove. And (laughs) then I think Disney's animation division kind of kicks up a bit more in kind of this past decade in the 2010s. Yeah. And it's interesting what kind of happens to Pixar after Toy Story 3 where I feel like we sort of exit their kind of peak period of yeah, consistency. Because they, like, like I was like, I mentioned like they, they kind of splintered. It went towards like the very like merchandise, merchandise, mm-hmm. kids, kids, kids. And then, and then they did, I, I, they did Brave. I did not like Brave at all. I think Brave is Okay. That's that's where I sort of land is is I think one of the more forgettable ones inside out is kind of the one masterpiece of I think this kind of last decade. But you are kind of getting to something of like it becomes a lot more brand management, I would say, where like the Toy Story series had historically been the one that they would like come back to every few years. And then in the last decade, you know, we got a Monsters Inc. prequel. We got two more Cars movies. We got a fourth Toy Story movie and sequels to Finding Nemo and The Incredibles. And I mean, some of those movies, I think, are are quite generally good. But it becomes of like after Pixar has sort of established itself and then the sort of 
um, more kind of corporate Disney culture kind of seeping in, it feels like. And the projects become a lot more kind of brand management, if that makes For sense, sure. of sort of like the these are these established movies that also have a built in fan base and that fan base is getting older. And what can we do to sort of capitalize off of Finding Nemo is a big hit and has this and is like this rewatchable movie amongst like generations and people are showing their kids now. Can we capitalize on a sequel years later? And I think the Pixar movies in more of the last decade that have sort of been more exciting, it feels like, are the ones where they've started to branch out and give to artists in that company that have a bit more diverse voices, such as Turning Red here or Coco, Coco, for example, are probably like the two best um, examples of, I think, the company sort of forging a new future while also being like we kind of want to just sort of upkeep kind of the the hits we had in the past yeah like they kind of have to because like john uh lasserty leaving you know so like uh shamefully is like yes really really huge yeah and um and I think like we still have like Pete Doctor who has I think he's done like the best ones like right you Pete, know. Pete Doctor for example has done he did Monsters Inc and Inside Out and, and uh, Up I believe and most recently Soul which I thought I thought was like pretty good but maybe not like Apex Pixar that's maybe like the one where the uh you mentioning like picking things kids like is like what what if things had feelings or something like that's yeah. kind of the joke there's the letterbox review that it's like what if cars had feelings what if bugs had feelings what if monsters had feelings and then what you get to like have feelings yeah inside out and then like soul is basically like what if what if let's let's stop and think about our souls everyone and what the meaning of of life is um i but, hated yeah. soul like okay. specifically okay so yeah like i i feel like i the the recent batch of movies have been really interesting because like it is kind of a lot of them feel like they're really geared towards our ages um mm-hmm. the millennials and then you know they have like onward which is about i loved onward though uh, oh was see about, that's like, the that's brothers. the one yeah that's the one where i was just like get this out of here <laughs> um, that's, i feel yeah. about that that you clearly feel about something like soul for example <laughs> well like the thing with soul is um i f- i felt like it was kind of like we want this to be like pixar's for kids it really mm-hmm. like at at its core it's for children or you like young teens or whatever and i felt like it was too too much writing on the coattails of inside out that was so intellectual and Mm -hmm. is used to kind of guide kids towards being able to talk about how they feel Mm -hmm. but soul is like too too much in that terms and it really turned me off that it was like we're gonna make a movie that is not only for kids but for adults and i don't i don't really like movies that do that too much Kind of like with Adventure Time. Did you watch Adventure Time? No, but I know the show you're talking about. Yes. So Adventure Time was like really great because it was so different from like other kids shows because it kind of had like adult elements um, of like um, depression and war and stuff. And then as it got on, it 
and it got this huge fan base of adults, it became way too adult oriented of like really depressing stuff that if I was a kid, I would hate. And I felt that with soul, like kids don't want to think about their purpose in, in being locked into their purpose in life. Kids don't think like that. This is like made for adults under the guise of a kid's movie. That, that was my problem with it. It is probably the most adult Pixar movie in terms of like, I, I have three very adorable nephews and I cannot imagine like, you know, the, the third one's a baby at this point. So he's not watching movies, but like, I could not mm-hmm. imagine like the other two just even like sitting and connecting with soul of, of I, I like that movie, but even then agree with sort of the caveat of it. If it, it seemed a bit of like, Pixar forcibly reaching yeah. for self-importance. Um, yeah, but- and I like all the stuff with the main character. I don't remember his name. What was his? I name? don't either. Um, the main character. His story was amazing. I wish. I wish it was kind of something more about that, and not having, not having like the whole bureaucracy of having a soul. Like we don't need another. We don't need another Beetlejuice type movie. Like Beetlejuice <laughs> set the standard for like bureaucracy in this like really niche like supernatural world right like we don't need that all the time (laughs) um but then again there's monsters inc which i think did it really well of like oh this monster world Mm -hmm. is powered by by children's screams and then children's laughter like that's really fun (laughs) yeah i think pete doctor really excels in a kind of world building in his pixar movies um, you know, and it's it's notable that a lot of the early ones are kind of four central. I mean, notable because Pixar is like taking steps to diversify with movies like Coco and Turning Red, which we're talking about. Um, but you know, I think we have four kind of white men as kind of the central voices. Um, Pete Doctor that we mentioned, who kind of runs the company now. I I see a lot of his movies as they're very. They're great at world building yeah, and, and having these very, very high concept worlds and ideas. Um, there's obviously uh, Andrew Stanton who did Finding Nemo and the sequel Finding Dory and also did, um, he did Wally, And then you have John Laster who did a lot of the Toy Story movies as well as a lot of the Cars movies, but ran into some controversies during the me too era and was sort of ousted by the company i think he had moved into like a very large role at disney overall at that point yeah Um, basically um disney would not have a relationship with studio ghibli if it weren't for mm -hmm. laughter like yeah which is really interesting um what the what the perspective of that from ghibli's standpoint is like the japanese studios yeah and friends yeah, but, I have no idea. Um, Ghibli episode, something we should put a... Maybe maybe if once Miyazaki finally... He's like working on some movie now. Once that finally comes out, big big Ghibli episode maybe we can do on this show. Yeah, the, the story that he's basing off is really popular. I, I live in Japan, for those who may not know. But it's really <laughs> popular here. <laughs> Ohio gozaimasu. Um, yeah, like... Uh, it's it's very interesting how we can kind of see in real time with this newer studio i how how the content 
is really pushed by the um, talent. And mm-hmm. I love that with with Coco, with Luca, and with Turning Red, we are getting this new generation that is like basically people kind of basing things off of their own lives. Like Luke, yeah. I really Luca was okay to me. I'm it, I'm with you. I I you know cute I, cute a great airplane movie. Yes, I the, the best reviews I heard from people were people are like saw it on an airplane, very peaceful while the plane was going through turbulence. It's got some great pasta in it, but yes, I'm I'm with you of its it's the, I think like lesser Pixar in my opinion. The the issue I had with Luca was the same, kind of same issue I had with Brave, which was like this feels like a special episode of like a cartoon. You know? Mm-hmm. This is the episode where me and my mom fight. This is the episode where me and my friends fight. <laughs> um, but I really loved the background of it, which is based on the director's life growing up in Italy, mm-hmm. which yeah. is really nice for me because um, part of my family is from Italy. Okay. And uh, and then with Turning Red, if we can, if we go back to that, is just like so fantastic. And I love that Domi, she, she directed Bao, which is set in Toronto. My favorite Pixar short ever. Um, I, I even forget which one that ran in front of, but I just remember like, even at the end of the the di- whatever Disney feature it ran in front of was like, well, the, the nothing's going to top that short like that. That I think and, it was Incredibles and, too. Oh, interesting. Because I actually quite like Incredibles too, but I also don't remember much about Incredibles two other than like having a pretty fun time. But yes, the can continue, but I've just had to interject of like Bao is probably my personal personal favorite of Pixar shorts. Besides the old man playing chess with himself. It's better than the, that. The, <laughs> it's still good. Yeah, no, Bao is incredible and it it's it's such a such a smart move on Pixar to mm-hmm. bring in a very diverse voice like Domi because she's um uh I think she's first generation I I'm not sure but you know her family immigrated mm. to uh Canada from China and she's so talented and like she's a millennial as well so she has like those really specific core memories of mm-hmm. that time that play into the movie so well like I saw every sing. I know every single anime she watched as a kid because <laughs> <laughs> I watched them too. And uh, like, uh, I'm really, really thankful that she not only was able to like spearhead this all by herself. I think she's the first. She's definitely the first woman at Pixar to direct her own feature length film. And yeah, first, I think like, that's right. And the first, obviously, like woman of color and stuff. And I believe that all of the head heads of the movie were also all women, which is really like not done in animation. Yeah. And yeah, continue. Well, no, it's just like, it's really, it's really fantastic. And it just makes me like very thankful because um, I, I really appreciate Pixar because it's like, obviously it's been here my whole like adolescence and stuff. And I, I it has it does have prestige, especially like with the Oscars and stuff. And then it's nice to know that even after some flops, 
um, either like actual flops or flops perceived by myself that um, such a great fun movie can come out especially like I think it was mostly made during the pandemic yeah and and I think the the release of Pixar movies now is even a little extra complicated because Disney announced that pretty much all of them are not getting theatrically released they're going to Disney plus which I also wonder if that counts for I guess the other Pixar movie this year is there is the Buzz Lightyear movie, which I feel like we're going to be here for like nine hours if I try uh. to like explain the whatever high concept premise where it's like, it's what if Buzz Lightyear was a real person, but he inspired the toy, but it's also futuristic. And, you know, another, it seems like one of their kind of brand management titles. Um, but I, I'm more interested in, in, like you said, movies like this and movies like Coco, where they're kind of trying to find that next generation of, um, voices in the animation field and i i don't know i think my one criticism against this movie i maybe don't love it as much as some other people is that the concept i feel like kind of runs runs out after about like 45 minutes um of just sort of like really really enjoyed and was laughing a lot in that first half an hour to 45 minutes and then it feels like it kind of stalls and just sort of like repeats itself and kind of like is coasting on air the rest of the movie um but i think when this movie works it is some of the like freshest funniest stuff pixar has put out in years and i really really hope that they continue to uh give Dimishi more bites at the apple because I, I i would say she is of this new crop of pixar filmmakers the one that i am now most excited to see like what she does next with her having done this and that short obviously yeah i think that's interesting because like i feel like i mean my my read of the movie is, was that it kind of felt how puberty is you know you have the first mm -hmm. big bang of like this happens and then uh, your body goes through the changes and then you deal with kind of the emotional relationship fallout of that. And I, I feel like it was a really nice progression and like dig into what, I mean, also I grew up like as a girl, so I'm probably have a, yes. I probably have a better like lived experience of it, but like. Spoiler, so, I am not female. Yeah. <laughs> um, the you know we in towards the end we 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 meet uh Malin's grandmother who mm -hmm. has a really tough relationship with her mom uh Ming. is it Ming or Min uh her mom's I'm name I'm not 100% sure but but I do kind of like to kind of piggyback you think that this movie it does kind of wind up being I think after in its end, I think after kind of the section that sort of lagged for me, I think wraps up with a like very sweet emotional movie about like mothers and daughters and about like that moment when, you know, I, I witnessed it with my sister of that, that moment when, you know, you go from being like friendly with your mom or mother figure and be more adversarial with them and then kind of come around later in life into learning like oh there's maybe more 
more connections there than than I realized and they learned to kind of like let go a little bit but um I'm not the girl on this podcast so <laughs> I should I should maybe shut up and uh let you talk about uh more of the kind of like emotional or personal connections of it well like um I there's definitely like well I'm not an immigrant I'm not an immigrant I've lived in a foreign country for five years mm-hmm. but I'm not I'm not planning on staying here forever, so I wouldn't say I'm an immigrant, but that part of it is also very strong that a lot of people aren't necessarily going to understand where, uh, you know, outside of like North American, like um, United States, Canadian um, cultures, you're, there is a very real um, filial piety where you uh, really do a lot for your family and not Mm -hmm. necessarily like just think of yourself and puberty is like a great backdrop of um exploring that in a movie because you (laughs) become so insular you're so obsessed with like how you are perceived how you look Mm -hmm. how like you are supposed to act and um i think uh domi the director using her own um life to inspire that tells a really great both um very culturally uh precise and like narrow but also in a way that's very general like i got so much of it even even though i don't necessarily understand the struggle of having to really um fight with needing to be there for my family in the way that a girl like that would need to or and also being true to myself I still really felt that because uh, I think most girls can really feel that need to like be figure out who they are in this really harsh patriarchal world and also like living up to some kind of standards in a family and I I really loved I, it was a really smart idea that bringing in the grandmother where mm-hmm. Ming, her name is Ming. Ming and the grandmother, um, they had, their relationship was tumultuous. So much so that Ming in her really huge kaiju red panda form uh, accidentally hurt her mom and left a huge scar on her face. And uh, not to get like too personal, but like I've had plenty of like, tumultuous uh you know ebbs and flows of like in my relationship with my mom and with her mom it was like much harsher just because my grandmother was of a really harsh generation and um I definitely connected with that in a way where the Ming was like I don't want to talk to my mom oh my god but I'll still be feel being like oh my precious baby you're never gonna grow up Mm -hmm. um I've definitely like witnessed that growing up and that was really interesting to see. And it kind of reminded me of like Encanto where Mm -hmm. of the whole thing of like breaking the generational trauma. um, I love that at the end, you know, the grandmother was like, I don't, I don't know if she like necessarily apologized. I, I might be confusing the two movies, but she fully like accepted her daughter and her granddaughter um for who they are in their own way and that was really really nice might not always happen in real life but that's what movies are for (laughs) 
Um, so let's maybe as like a bit a bit of fun kind of go through um our some top five Pixar favorites of ours. Um, I'll start it off with you because I'm sure we'll have probably some crossover. So what what would be kind of number five on your list? I would say I would say right now tied at number five for me is Turning Red because I I just okay. I loved it so much, especially all the all the like cringy things that girls do with their friends. <laughs> that hit right here, right in my heart. I, I saw so much of my. She's probably going to be like mortified and like turning turning white listening to this, but. <laughs> a lot a lot of a lot of like say this so lovingly a lot of my little sister and her friends and just like the dynamic between uh between may may and her her friends in this it's movie. so awesome and like what what's funny for me is like the way her and her friends are um i was like that probably went up between like seven and ten because that was mm-hmm. like spice girls in sync britney spears like that was like the big thing once I started into actual junior high school, I I got more into like classic rock and I was like mm-hmm. that. I was like a metalhead, like pretty much, you know, until now, like until I die. But like <laughs> um, that whole thing of like making carry- choreography with your friends, like doing videos and stuff and performances of your favorite boy bands and like being like, oh, my God, Lance Bass is my favorite. I'm going to marry him someday. That was me. <laughs> My, because my friend, my best friend claimed Justin Timberlake, which mm. she could have him. But like, um, that was so awesome. And I love now that, like, you know, I guess 10 years ago it was One Direction. Now it's like the K pop bands, like yeah. BTS. I love that, like, there's still that going on. And, uh, I I love that and I hate when people call it cringe because like no you can't call what kids do what kids having fun is cringe because they're they should be shielded from that harshness in this world <laughs> it's an if you're an adult it's cringe when you're a kid it's so I think yes. turning red has now been like has broken my top five but I also have to give shout out to a bug's life I love a bug's oh life. interesting yeah, that is one I have not seen it since I was a kid, honestly. So I'm curious for your sort of pra- appraisal of it. Well, okay, my my little brother, his middle name is Francis, named after our grandmother, because uh, they were supposed to have the same birthday, and so the the ladybug is a boy named Francis. Mm-hmm. So him him and my grandma had a really cute connection with that. So we watched that movie all the time growing up, and. Um, it's very Seven Samurai, um, yep. and it has, I didn't realize this, um, it has some of, like, the best, like, com- comedic actors, like, especially female characters. It has Phyllis Diller, it has Madeline Kahn, Louis Ju- Lu- Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like, all these, like, huge um, comedic actors, and I think it's probably the most stacked voice actors in Pixar. Just because, honestly, because of Phyllis Diller. But, like, <laughs> I, I love that. And I love, like, the whole thing with the grasshoppers. And I, I grew up uh, reading Redwall. So anything mm-hmm. where it's little bugs or little animals using big people things for their yes. little homes, <laughs> I'm all for, you know? And yeah. then, yeah, so A Bug's Life is, like, really, I love that one, like, a lot. And then... um Number four for me. Well, what's five for you? Sorry. 
All right, so my number five, I'm actually going to go with Toy Story 2, which I think is probably my favorite of the now four Toy Story movies. Um, Same. Yeah, I don't don't really have like any particular like specific reason for it other than I think it is it is just sort of the sharpest and the funniest of all of them and I th- I think has the most sort of interesting arc for its characters and the one I probably I I will be honest I've only seen 3 and 4 once. Um yeah. and as as a kid when 1 and 2 came out, 2 was probably the one I I rewatched the most out of all of them, but um, that, that would be my, be my pick. I, th- I think it is sort of um, three. I know gets a lot of accolade before because of the, the sort of ending and the kind of darker places that that goes. But two, I think just as like a screwball comedy is pretty impeachable and um, is just, like I said, so lightning fast, funny and I think takes the Woody character in sort of an interesting direction in kind of giving him this sort of fork in the road that I know they kind of try and do again with four, but giving him this fork in the road of like, do I go and have this other life as this kind of celebrity toy that is up in museums or something, or is is my purpose more connected to sort of being with this child and and being this uh i guess source of joy for for his life um so i I don't know what what are your kind of thoughts on i will say this is the one toy story movie that is in my top five the other ones are not showing up anywhere but um i felt like i needed to pick one and sort of this was the one that i gravitated towards the most no i completely agree because it's my number four oh great perfect this is going swimmingly (laughs) yeah like i that came out uh, when I was like uh, like nine, turning ten, and okay. um, I associate it with my uh, rodeo friends because mm-hmm. uh, you know Woody the cowboy, Jesse the cowgirl, yep. Bullseye the horse. We were all we really loved that. You know, who was as kids. who was Stinky Pete? Is that the name of the like yeah. prospector guy? Yeah, Stinky Pete. We don't <laughs> talk the about sti- him. <laughs> we don't talk about. There was no Stinky Pete in your friend group. Oh God, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> prospector. No, we we want like we want the cute horse and like the singing cowgirl and like uh-huh. the jealous cowboy. <laughs> um, but no, that was like that was a really big one, and I I thought it was the most interesting. Uh, narratively of like mm-hmm. any any like really um kids movie at that point that I had yeah. seen and um I I thought it was fun I loved I loved Buzz's role in the movie yeah as you know because like he's really funny in the first one like the first one is really good I think that as far as a sequel goes I don't think anything can top Toy Story 2 not even not even Terminator not even wow. Alien, like not wow. even Dark Knight. I think Toy Story 2 is like the perfect sequel because it not only it continues off of the first story really brilliantly, it adds new characters really well and it it's not the same formula. No, uh, it's it it feels completely different. And yeah, and I I I did not get the hype of 
the third one because it was kind of like it was it was just people crying over nostalgia and like their childhoods ending Mm -hmm. and i even as a kid i was very much like okay i love my toys i love my belongings i'm i don't believe that they're actually alive and a lot of people a lot of a lot of my friends did and i it was really hard for me to get that upset about a toy getting thrown into a a furnace i think that movie is and and I I even admit to being someone who is sort of won over by it when it came out, but have have like not felt the urge to revisit it. But I think so much of what what fed into the hype around it at the time was kind of what we hinted at earlier is like a generation of uh kids who grew up watching the first two Toy Story movies and kind of entering that stage of life that kind of the the Andy character is in where the the sort of symbolic of like Andy putting away his toys or giving away his toys was a sort of like perfectly matched up with a generation of kids who had now grown up and were sort of seeing this that movie as like this is me sort of saying goodbye to this which is why even though I think four is like pretty solid and like yeah they, they clearly found another angle back into you know bringing those characters back um that that just was to me in hindsight i think all of what the hype around the third one was was like you said a nostalgia of a a generation of people who had grown up and were now returning to this in order to sort of say goodbye to it before kind of metaphor putting it in the toy box forever um and then that didn't really happen so (laughs) yeah and like I also I remember very distinctly being very salty about just Bo Peep being gone that Mm -hmm. really made me mad and then I which I really appreciate about the fourth one they brought her back and they made her like really a real character and Mm -hmm. not just like flirty and cute um and then I I felt very betrayed that um, the the little dachshund that we were introduced to in the second movie is suddenly old. <laughs> I didn't suddenly like an that. old fat dog. Yeah, because I he was one of my favorite parts. Um, in Toy Story two. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's the best. I think it's the best of the franchise. Um, I, but I um in Japan, Toy Story is huge. It is so huge, and everything is like. Everything. Every time you go into a store, there's a ton of Toy Story stuff. So I love like I love the aesthetic of all the movies, and I love mm-hmm. all the little all the toys are super cute. Like my cousin had the RC car. Oh, when we were kids, and then um, a lot of I knew a lot of kids. Um, I knew a lot of kids that had the Woody doll. Yep, which was really cool. Like it was cool, like seeing a toy and then actually getting to have the toy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I completely agree. It. It's my favorite of the Toy Stories, and I feel like it it firmly goes into my top five. So my number four is actually Inside Out, um, which I hinted (laughs) at earlier. Is that your number three? Yes! (laughs) Oh, wow. We're we're just like rolling with this. Yeah, I think so. Now this is an opportunity for us to both talk about Inside Out. Um, I think it is my favorite of the Pixar movie, my favorite Pixar movie of, I think the last decade. Um, It hit me hard. Yeah. And a movie that I think has so much imagination in it while also so much heart. I I think it is the best kind of 
collision of the sort of Pixar emotional aspect, which can sometimes rightfully be parodied a little bit, and the more kind of heady, imaginative part of Pixar. And see, I remember seeing that in a theater, and it, you know, clearly like the family's really enjoying it, but it also being a movie that was like bringing down the house, and people were laughing hysterically through it. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I rewatched it during the pandemic and was kind of blown away all over again at, at just how intricate and detailed and like well thought through all of the world building is in it. Um, I, I think it is like one of the best movies of the last like 10, 20 years in that regard. Um, you know, we, we a lot of times turn to sort of like franchise movies or fantasy movies in terms of world building. But I think the way this movie is able to do it in kind of under two hours and have every little thing so perfectly fit as like an allegory or an anecdote to like a very real relatable part of our emotional psyche is um, just like really, really impressive um, as well as just like, a very funny movie like mm-hmm. it's it's still insanely entertaining totally like i i really loved seeing um something that so perfectly visualizes the only way a film can uh mm-hmm. real emotions and in a way that um emotionally stunted adults and really malleable children can understand and really i feel like um, you come away from it um, probably a more aware person and maybe even a better person because you're really taught as a kid, you have to be happy, you have to, you know, put on a smile. And a movie that really centralizes that it's okay to be sad is so revolutionary. And all of the uh, voice acting was perfectly cast. Like Amy Poehler. <laughs> is a goddess and Mm -hmm. i loved her as joy and then um phyllis from the office the sadness was perfect uh such a such a great movie like i i agree like i think it's by far not only top five pixar i think it's top five like 2010s film oh wow by far yeah like i think it's so smart and so colorful and i I really feel that like uh it's it set a really high standard because maybe if it wasn't made so I would have maybe liked soul a bit more mm-hmm. um because it, it I just felt like it was just trying to do a soul, what inside out yeah did. yeah and I was definitely one of those people going and I was like oh, first the toys have feelings now the feelings have feelings <laughs> okay but I, it's, it's, I was I suckered do... in I do feel like once we reach that, once we reach Inside Out, like, again, part of the problem with Soul is, like, we we reach to the point of, like, self-parody with the, like, emotional, like, tear-jerky aspect of Pixar movies. And so I think it's, it, it's, it's a little harder to, like, push even further into it when you get to the point of, like, feelings even have feelings. Well, it was also like, okay, so, you know, um... In Inside Out, it's Amy Poehler kind of explaining like this world of like how mm-hmm. your emotions and personality work. And then in Soul, it's Tina Fey explaining the world of a soul. 
and they're you know they're best friends they're uh-huh. comedy team duo like perfection but they're also very different mm-hmm. uh uh types of comedy types of per- like personality and it's just like it it does feel like a parody almost <laughs> kind of like it feel it feels like Danny DeVito as as uh mini me <laughs> you know yeah and like which is such a shame because there was so much i really did like about soul but overall i felt like it was just trying to be inside out yeah so my number three i guess since that was your number three <laughs> is a movie i'm sure because of your mug is going to show up on your list as well it's uh it's wally um, which I feel like is maybe the closest Pixar has come to a Miyazaki movie in terms of its, there's sort of a, a sparseness to it and a willing just to allow stillness to exist and allow yes. patience in the images. Um, that's That's the one I remember that movie coming out. And I think that movie is kind of a creative peak of Pixar in terms of, their sort of maturity of of the movies and the sort of confidence and will of of the audience to sort of meet them halfway um and do like i kind of hinted earlier this kind of movie that has all of these interesting ideas about the environment and about us as a society and about our role for technology but is also this like gentle sweet rom-com about two robots that's basically like functions as a silent movie like i said earlier but you're you're the bigger wally fan than i am so i'm curious <laughs> where it falls on your list <laughs> um well wally is number one for me okay uh wally for for a long time was my like n- number two favorite movie and then interstellar came in but uh i i really love i i love the, i love any I now as an adult that I've gotten to really watch silent films, I really adore them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really uh wonderful way to make a film especially nowadays. And uh I remember that was like the big thing I kept reading in reviews at the time like, "Oh my god, it's the perfect movie and there's no talking for the first part of it." Mm-hmm. And that really as like a teenager, I think I was 17 when it came out. As a teenager, yeah. just really getting into into film i was really struck by that and then just i was not expecting to be so overwhelmed not only by like the environmental message of it the uh the dare i say anti-capitalist uh aspect yeah of it. i think it's a fair reading and then just two robots falling in love like sealed the deal for me i really adored it and I still adore it. Um, I, with, I'm like a, a, te- a English teacher here, and mm-hmm. I used to teach at a high school, and we had an English club, and all the kids wanted to do was watch Disney movies. So I brought my husband's Wally DVD, and the kids had never seen it, and they were so in love with it by the end, and it was so awesome. And then what was great was like there's no talking for a lot of it. So they were able to um, connect with it much deeper than, you know, with Zootopia or something. Um, and uh, I I really love, even though it's a bit 
kind of a bit more muted in colors. It's still very beautiful. It's either like very sterile um, ship or mm-hmm. really gross city on Earth. Um, but it's still like absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and then also like all the cool like references in it are really great, like to 2001 and um, oh, what's the musical in it that Wally loves? It's like a, is it like a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers music? Maybe it's Guys thing? and Dolls. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I've seen it that I can't remember. I just remember he is like obsessed with the this one musical that keeps running on TV, but I can't remember what it is exactly. Which I totally also related to as a kid because we only had like, you know, finite um, number of v- VHSs and DVDs and we would just watch them over and over and over and over again. And that became part of mine and like my brother's personalities. Um, so I really connected with Wally. And I now at the time I wasn't as environmentally conscious as I am now. And this movie completely planted that seed mm-hmm. the plant <laughs> okay yeah. so that's my number three what's your number three mine well my number three is inside out oh, but oh my that's number, right. so your number two my number two is monsters inc oh okay that one's not on my list so yeah but so, i do like it uh Mon- well monsters inc is like it's a amalgamation of many things it was It was the first Pixar movie I remember seeing a preview for in a theater Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, my God, monsters. And it's it it's by the people that made a bug's life and Toy Story. Mm -hmm. Yay. And um, I was like, I was so excited for that. And then I love John Goodman. I love Billy. A treasure. Like a treasure as well. Those two are very, very special to me especially as like a kid like the those are very soothing like voices to me and i i just really i really love it i love how it's uh i'm a big sucker for like um the kind of what is it lone wolf and pup thing Uh of like a big guy taking on a little person a little kid (laughs) yeah and like uh, you know that's (laughs) um I wrote about like this really not great, but I loved it. Um, show with RuPaul called like AJ and the Queen, which is that mm-hmm. same for film and career. I wrote about that, which is the same thing. Like a, a big adult uh, become having a really special little relationship with like a little kid and then forming like a bond. And that's probably my favorite part of it. And also like, you know, I loved it as a kid and I've loved it. I've come back to it all the time. And now that I'm like an adult and married, my husband is very much Sully. Like his personality <laughs> and like his build is Sully. And that makes me like even love it on like a deeper level. So um, what you're saying is your husband is a, a big furry monster. He is. He's sleeping right <laughs> now. But I I think it's um I think it's one of the simpler um Pixar movies in terms of like the story and like mm-hmm the emotions of it but i still really love it also uh who doesn't love a conspiracy <laughs> yeah a great way to introduce conspiracy theories to kids so i'm going to kind of combine my number two and my number one because a they're both kind of interchangeable um b for time and c because they are both from the same person which is 
Brad Bird, who's kind of the one Pixar figure we haven't quite touched on. And I think is one of the more talented uh, American animation filmmakers. Um, And so I will sort of say as a rotating two in one um, for me are The Incredibles and Ratatouille. Um, Incredibles, I'll say, you know, I'm uh, uh, maybe I don't even know how much of a hot take this is, but I think this is secretly the best Fantastic Four movie in terms of like, yes, it kind yes. of doesn't make sense how we've never gotten a good Fantastic Four movie because the Incredibles kind of tack like cracked the code of doing a really fun, action packed, funny superhero movie that is about a family and about all the humor and um love that comes between that of a group of people who are constantly bickering with each other and sometimes annoy each other but are there for each other and there's a love and bond between them at the end of the day and brad bird i think is also so underrated as an action filmmaker and every time i've seen the incredibles i'm kind of blown away at how great and clear like like we should be talking about him on like the same level as like a steven spielberg or a george miller in terms of his understanding of space and kinetics and objects in motion and it's also just a great testament to so many of our superhero movies are live action but a great testament to the kinds of things you can do in an animated superhero movie that the way you can whip the camera around and the fluidity of the action scenes and a lot of the visual comedy that would just sort of look ridiculous or you couldn't even like feasibly do it in a live action movie. Um, and so like, I, I think it's, it is not just sort of a, it is, a I think the perfect example of a Pixar movie that I think transcends the idea of like, Oh, it's a family movie of like, no, this is just like a great, superhero action comedy um that like you could you could never feasibly do it as a live action movie you could only do it as an animated movie and ratatouille might be this is my chance to evangelize for (laughs) ratatouille a movie you said you don't like um i'm someone who loves to cook food is very important to me um and so maybe that's a connection to this movie as well as i think you know this is a movie about loving to create something and about an artist sort of striving for greatness and sort of loving something so much and being so obsessed with your work that it kind of consumes you, but in the most sort of like creatively fulfilling way. And, you know, there's a little bit of that that I'm sure is, reminiscent of brad bird having like heard some of the behind the scenes stories i have about him of like him being very much a perfectionist um but you know as as someone who like i said likes cooking is very much interested in artists sort of wanting to physically make something and like physically making something whether it is dinner for myself or this show every week and (laughs) and the idea of like the obsession that Remy, the main rat character, has with um, food in this movie is something that I... This is probably the one that, like, when when I first saw it in theaters, I kind of shrugged and was like, well, that was okay, but that was, like, a little, like, slow for me. But I, I think the more as I've grown into adulthood, this has been the one that I've come back to 
over and over again and that I feel like a really deep kinship to. And Hot Take is my favorite Disney movie. Get out of here, Lion King. Get out of here, Cinderella. <laughs> like Rat- Ratatouille. That's my favorite uh, Disney movie. Um, and I think one of the great in in the like Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame of just food movies and movies about what food can do and what food can mean to people. Um, also, last thing I'll say about it, even though he is portrayed as a kind of monstrous person, the speech by the critic at the end, pretty true. That's 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 all we want. That's all yeah. of us critics want. We're all just sort of jaded, cynical souls who are just sort of looking for something to make us feel alive and fall back in love with the the thing we're writing about or podcasting about. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very uh, apt uh, like breakdown of it, especially if you connect with it so personally. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't connect with me. I also I haven't really watched it since it came out. So I feel like maybe if I had, if I hadn't have watched it at 16 and Mm -hmm. being like full bore into like being obsessed with horror movies, maybe I would have, uh, and also like, I didn't know how to cook. So I I saw it as a jaded teenager as well. And was just like, well, it's no diehard, but yeah, (laughs) I I would say returning to it as an adult, it, it, I was just like, wow, really beautiful movie just about yeah. like what it's like to be a creative person in the world and to like want to make stuff yeah i think that um yeah like you said with brad bird i think uh he is a very fantastic um director i do love the incredibles that's my number like 10 just mm-hmm. because it's like it's kind of like my baseline for a for a pixar movie because it's like, duh, it's the Incredibles. Of course you're going to put on it. It's, I feel like it's kind of like a Godfather. Like, duh, we're going to talk. Like, there's the Godfather. Right. It's one of the best movies ever. Let We don't need to say anything more. I I do love his work. I think, I think personally, my favorite movie of his is Iron Giant. I would um, probably agree with that. That, I mean... Which is like that was a Warner Brothers movie and an, another and actually a movie that was like a huge flop at the time and got yes. more of kind of like reappraisal over time. But yeah, I I, w- I would also agree with you there. That's that's probably his his masterwork right there. And um, he does a really he does a really really great job of um presenting a emotion and kind of a um value that people have or assign themselves to um, through film. And yeah, like Ratatouille, like I love the memes for Ratatouille, obviously. Can't go wrong with um, a like control someone's body meme. Uh, I, it's just not, it's not my favorite. Not my favorite. It's not my most hated Pixar movie though. I actually don't like most Pixar movies. Like I've found kind of thinking about all this which is really interesting but i think uh that's just kind of me um yeah i very much appreciate that it's your number one i really like hearing your um connection to it that really warms my chilly heart well bailey joe thank you for for stopping by this week um i guess before we go i'll give one last kind of like a r.i.p we didn't mention on last week's episode but we lost william hurt the great the great William Hurt, just one of the most handsome men who's ever in movies, as well as, you know, was in one of my favorite movies, Broadcast News. So really just have to give 
a shout out there. Um, I don't know. Do you have any like what's any like favorite William Hurt performance or something that you want to shout out? Before I, I would say <laughs> I would say um, I liked him in. Oh, what was it called? Oh, no. I Oh, um, A History of Violence. I oh, his, yes. Uh, <laughs> I loved A History of like Violence. He's got like five minutes in that movie, but that that is like one of those performances that's like, you know, you go to a sporting game and there's like the one player who just like comes off the bench and just like shoots a free, uh, like three-pointer half-court shot and then like hops back on the bench. That's that's him in that movie. Great yeah. I I think he's he's more of like a character actor, right? Yeah. Some someone who was a leading man in the 80s but was also like kind of an intimidating presence and very like intellectual and eventually sort of moved into being more of a a character actor in space, but um you know, just like like to shout out people when when we lose them on this this the speed. Yeah, and also he I'm glad you're doing that because did you see there was a headline that was like, oh, you might know him best from The Incredible Hulk. That's rude. That's shameful. Yeah, that's absurd. <laughs> Go watch broadcast news, all yep. of you, you people out Broadcast there. news is fantastic.